Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. The ILO estimated that in 2019, there were 169 million international migrant workers across the world, which is approximately 4.9% of the global labour force. Meet our social impact pioneers, Sandra Granath and Alexandra Lasoto, who are joining me today to discuss the challenges and opportunities of better supporting migrant workers through great training and learning, and also to help businesses better look after their workers' human rights whilst complying with due diligence requirements. If you are working abroad, travelling and away from home, you might be working in a foreign language, vulnerable to changes in currency, contracts, and perhaps without a permanent home address. All reasons that could mean that you aren't able to get the training and development that you need. Likewise, if you're in a business employing people from other locations, training and supporting your workers properly across language and cultural barriers is vital. Helping your workers in supply chains that cross borders, essential. Alexandra Lesotho is the Migration, Business and Human Rights Lead at the International Organization for Migration, IOM. She's based in Thailand at the moment and she knows all about these subjects. Her expertise lies in working with businesses to support them in upholding the rights of migrant workers in international supply chains, as well as broader migration and displacement issues. While Sandra and her team at Quizzer have been developing digital training, which focuses on helping people across boundaries and supply chains to learn. Bringing these two ladies together, I am delighted to deep dive into these conversations today. Uh, please note that uh, during the conversation, I am based in a slightly noisy outside location, so apologies for any background noise during it. But without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Alexandra. And Sandra, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Hi, Katie. Great to be here as well. Oh, it's great to have you. And uh, I must apologize to anybody who's listening uh, for the background noise here. I've got a wonderful cacophony of all sorts of birds. I think the cuckoo has just uh, sparked up in the corner. So if you can hear that in the background, that's why uh, what's going on here. But Alexandra, I wanted to turn to you first in our conversation today. In your role at the International Organization for Migration, which some people might know as the IOM, which is known also as the UN Migration Agency, you look at the cross-section of migration, business and human rights. Could you tell us how the world of business is changing and why the treatment of migrant workers should be of increased importance to businesses? Thanks, Katie, for the question. So I think that, you know, some of your listeners may be wondering why did you invite IOM to your podcast? So I think that maybe it's um, actually good to start from there. 
So International Organization for Migration is intergovernmental organization, and we are a member of the United Nations system. And we actually have over 70 years of experience working with government, civil society, the international community, and nowadays more and more with private sector to promote safe, orderly, and regular migration. Nowadays, more and more in global supply chains. And so, in fact, through our migration business and human rights portfolio, which I am a part of, we support governments in protecting the human and labor rights of migrant workers, and we also help businesses in respecting those. More than this, we help both governments and businesses to provide migrant workers with effective remedies. And so over the past couple of years, we work with international brands such as IKEA, Adidas, BF Corporation, to name just a few. And through these partnerships, we have reached more than 200,000 migrant workers employed by more than 200 supplier facilities, mainly across Asia and the Pacific. And so really, you know, me speaking today in terms of how the business is changing is based on what we do here from our partners and what we see through our work. And I can very quickly think of three very prominent examples to illustrate how that environment is changing. And so this is, you know, customer preferences, ethical investment, and increasing legislation. And so we know that already in 2019, the Euromonitor International reported that conscious consumers was one of the top 10 consumer trends in the world. This means people want to buy products that represent their values and are made ethically. The same thing is happening in the investment world. So in 2020, 85% of individual investors surveyed by Morgan Stanley said they wanted their money to go into companies with sustainable practices. Lastly, and this has been, I think, really important to some of our private sector partners, is legislation, increasing modern slavery legislation that really promotes that supply chain transparency and accountability. And so most recently, what all our private sector partners are talking about is the EU Directive on Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence, which the proposal has been announced on the 23rd of February this year. And so what does it mean? It means that any company, whether it's an EU company or a company established somewhere else, but that operates in the EU market, will have to be proactive about understanding and managing potential and actual adverse human rights impacts in their supply chains, including the impacts on migrant workers. Even if you know, some of those impacts or risks occur outside of Europe, let's say in Asia or South America. Yeah, so we'll watch this space for that legislation coming down. And for anybody who's listening to this podcast, I'll put the link into the words that sit alongside in case you haven't come across it. Um, Alexandra, sticking with you for a moment, I wondered whether you could share, you, you clearly talked about some key stats and trends, sort of cross-stakeholder expectations, really, and requirements. How do migrant workers fit into those expectations? It's an excellent question. And, you know, we do see that often risks surrounding migrant workers are actually invisible and they as a population are invisible to many i think private sector private sector in general and so we see that migrant workers are actually the backbone of global supply chains ilo estimates that 169 million people who move for work are employed in these supply chains and so you know this is more than the combined population of france and germany these people are often at increased risks of exploitation simply because migration is complex, travel is complex. So those people are often exposed to high costs of migration, 
inflated recruitment fees, discrimination, language barriers. They often lack legal protections in the countries where they are employed. They are not able to access justice, meaning sometimes it's very difficult to, for them to file a complaint, even if their rights have been violated. And so, in fact, ILO estimates that every one in four out of 25 millions of victims of modern slavery is a migrant. And this is why it's really important for businesses to be looking at those migrant worker issues. Goodness, some of those stats are huge. And I have to say, I didn't realise quite how many migrant workers formed our supply chains. And, and therefore, my next question really is, like, what does that actually mean for business? I mean, how does business kind of react to that? And what do they do about it? Yeah, so it's actually, it's actually well recognised in some of the international frameworks that do inform today's modern slavery legislation with United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights being one of the most prominent frameworks. And, and UNGP, as we often refer to them, clearly say that migrant workers are more at risk. And as a result of that, businesses should be taking additional precautions to understand, address, and mitigate those risks that are faced by migrant workers. So what does it mean for businesses? I mean, from an ethical perspective, really looking at migrant worker issues is the right thing to do. I mean, this is, you know, from an employer welfare perspective, is something that all employers should be doing. But also from a business perspective and keeping in mind what is happening right now in the business world, doubling the efforts to proactively address the risks to migrant workers means keeping up with business trends, remaining competitive, and at the same time, managing the risks of every company. If I was actually sitting in a company and potentially having to kind of look at this risk, I mean, what would be your advice to me? What, what should I do? It's not simple, but it's, uh, but it's doable. And I think that we, what we often say is engage with migrant workers, listen to their needs, address these needs, and empower those workers so that they can fulfill their potential and fully contribute to, to your company. And so in recently released migrant worker guidelines for employers, we have been recommending businesses to really prioritize migrant inclusive human rights due diligence, which is actually also a requirement in some of the, the EU legislation, also some of the other legislation around the world. So what does it mean if you are a company sourcing palm oil from, let's say, Malaysia, and you know that the industry relies heavily on migrant workforce? As a company, it is really in your benefit to assess the risks to migrant workers, address any irregularities you may have identified, and then put policies, processes, and procedures in place to make sure same risks don't occur in the future. The added value of this approach, again, doing the right thing, but also minimizing the likelihood that your goods or orders, depending if you are a supplier or a brand, get stopped by, for example, U.S. customs at the border as suspected to be produced with, with forced labor. And so, you know, in a gist, human rights due diligence, remediation, having clear and well-communicated policies, and also engaging migrant workers. And just, you know, let me add that now with COVID-19, we have seen huge disruptions in global supply chains, but also in a way that businesses have been engaging migrant workers. And so because of that, many companies have actually been using technology to reach out their migrant workforce and, you know, be that outreach for raising awareness about workers' rights, upskilling them, or simply assessing the risks and vulnerabilities of those workers to address them through company policies and, and procedures. And that's a good segue to bring in Sandra. So Sandra, 
I know that Quizzer, you have been working at the interface and, and the forefront of developing some of this technology. I was wondering whether you could introduce us all to Quizzer. How does it fit in? And could you perhaps give us a bit of an example of what it looks like working in practice? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Katie. I'll start telling you a little bit about what Quizzer is and then a little bit more about how it works in practice. So Quizzer is an edtech company addressing HRDD from the, from the bottom up, meaning that we focus on breaking down these very complex issues that Alexandra was talking about, these laws and this emerging legislation to the actual workforce. And we have done that now for around 10 years, reached over 1.300,000 million training sessions. So that's just another example of how meaningful or impactful tech can be when it comes to reaching a lot of people. It's a digital tool. Uh, it's available on smartphone and on tablets, online and offline. And it showcases locally produced live action films or dramas covering topics such as uh, ethical recruitment or employment and contracts, social compliance, uh, gender and inclusivity. And what we do is that we focus on the why, the why question. So in relation to migrant uh, workers, it could be why is it important for me, a worker from Cambodia coming into Thailand to learn about contracts, for example. So that's always our starting point. This film or this educational part is followed up by a gamified quiz. So it's interactive. You answer a quiz question, you collect some coins. It's always in local language and in terminology that you would understand. And it's also supported with voiceover and voice support so you can listen to the question. All of these things are very important if you want to make a training truly accessible for everyone. And as it is a digital tool, it takes us to the other part of Quizzer, which is the instant data that we then have visible on our dashboard. So the sourcing brands, the sites and the facilities that are using our capacity building tool can look at trends and patterns and they can make assessments and see where the needs are for more capacity building, for example. So it's it's really helpful tool when it comes to one scale uh, capacity building, but also to get an instant view of a situation in a factory. And once again, if you are listening, I will put a link to make sure that you can see what Sandra is talking about in, in real life. Sandra, I'd wonder whether you could expand a bit. I mean, what does this mean? What does this technology and tool mean if you were a migrant worker? No, so what we have seen together with uh, the partners and the brands we're working with is that what we can do, because it is a digital tool, is that we can reach and address these issues all through the migrant worker corridor. So we can uh, do trainings pre-departure, post-arrival, and at the factory when you're already employed. So people can actually get training in a specific topic before ending up in poor employment, for example. So we're doing that, for example, in the border, at the border together with IOM in Thailand. So that's just one example of how impactful it can be using a digital tool, reaching workers all through the corridor. And then also, I just wanted to add a part of the emerging legislation that Alexander was talking about. And it's very clear now that sourcing companies must have policies in place, not only from top level, but all the way down to the lowest level of the supply chain. So this means that these brands and organizations need to cascade capacity building down to the not only first tier, but second tier and third tier. 
And that's why it's very important that there are tools that can do that, can address this challenge, and also that we can ensure that we use language, terminology, and educational uh, pieces that make sense for the stakeholder. Well, it does indeed make sense. And, and Sandra, actually, you know, that piece where you started talking about the fact that some of the migrant workers are getting information before they've even left that kind of through the journey. And, and I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about that. I always think about, you know, once they're in a job, not necessarily trying to help them get informed and understand their rights as much as anything before they even start. And Alexandra, I wanted to bring you back in. I mean, you've obviously been working on this topic, particularly this migrant worker piece. And, and what have the responses and feedback been to the use of technology? So yeah, Katie, I think, um, you know, we did, we did in IOM partner with a number of companies offering tech solutions. And I think that what we hear from some of the private sector partners, corporates who did partner with us on these projects is exactly what Sandra said there. So we hear that technology really enables companies to improve the information flows. It can often serve as a diagnostic tool to identify any trends or needs that are there either among migrant workers or in general among the, the, the domestic labor force. We hear that companies really appreciate the speed, the cost effectiveness of, of these tech solutions. Uh, through them, migrant workers can share anonymous feedback with employers and also provide them with insights into recruitment and employment processes. And these processes in general are very hard to monitor otherwise. And Feedback like that, again, echoing Sandra, makes it easier for companies to also facilitate migrant workers' access to remediation or pinpoint the exact skills that need to be provided and built among migrant workers. They do also help to get workers' feedback and kind of drive worker-centered improvements of company management systems. And lastly, technology can be very useful in upskilling large numbers of workers. However, you know, with all of those benefits, we do also see that no matter how good the technology, the human factor during the rollout of any tools is really essential. And so that means that people from the company need to be present either during the onboarding processes or during implementation processes to respond to workers' questions, and then also to respond to their concerns or feedback or any suggestions that they made. And we do also see that if the companies don't necessarily address feedback that workers share through those tools, this may actually affect workers' trust in those tools. And so, you know, lack of trust means that even the best tool won't be able to succeed simply because there won't be inducive, conducive environment for workers to use that. And then lastly, I think we also really need to remember that technology cannot fix structural inequalities, missing institutional capacity or a lack of human interest. And it really is a tool in companies' hand to reach the workers the best way that they can. And Sandra, I almost want to put those challenges to you, mm. actually. You know, digital so often is banded around as the solution to everything. You know, don't worry, we're going to solve climate change. We've just got to wait for the right technology to come along. What have you learned, particularly in your own journey through education technology? I mean, how and where does technology really actually help? And then, you know, from your experiences, where are the limitations as well? Sure, that's uh, that's a really good question, Katie. And I and I just want to start off with um, agreeing with Alexandra's point on the need of having people on the ground as well to support and deploy digital training 
And I think that's one of the main learnings we had past these past years is that you need to have a person speaking the local language supporting these facilities in order to build the trust, but also to ensure that that everything goes the way that the brands and the facility wants to to see that uh, training being deployed. But I think we can all agree that uh, knowledge sharing and education is key and the most important part to improve working conditions. So so when tech is used correctly and in a good manner, it can be a very impactful and meaningful tool to build capacity. It's quickly, you can do it efficiently. And we have a few examples of how we worked like that with Quizzer. So we had a rapid response with ETI, Ethical Trade Initiative, during COVID where we reached over 25,000 workers in less than four months with crucial information in Bangladesh, for example. So as an example of when it's useful is when you need to get a lot of crucial information out quickly. Another example is that, and I agree with Alexandra as well, there are some excellent, great programs out there already, face-to-face training with um, tested curriculas. But what we're seeing is that they are facing the challenge of scalability And also, they don't have any data. So we work in partnership with these already existing initiatives, digitizing their curricula, so making it more scalable, and also so they can get access to the data and make decisions based on data. So that's another example where we work as a complement or in partnerships with uh, programs and initiatives out there. And in other cases, when covering more uh, complex topics, such as uh, social dialogue, collective bargaining, uh, wage management, and so on. When you talk about issues where certain systems has to be in place in the factory for change to happen, then we work in a blended learning setup where we have face-to-face training with key groups in the facility, uh, like the management or worker representatives and so on. And then with the digital training, we ensure that all employees in the facility have the same knowledge and understanding. And this is a real challenge for many great initiatives programs out there that only do face-to-face because it's really hard for the knowledge to, to trickle down if you only cover less than 10% of the workforce, workforce, for example, especially when you have high employee turnover. So also there, digital solution could be a great complement or being great partnership with these already existing programs out there. And then lastly, I just want to highlight the different roles of like what we do versus what the brands and organizations do and what, what responsibilities they have is that, sure, we work with the capacity building. We, we share the data with the stakeholders, but then it's up to the brand and organization to, to really make the decisions and build strategy on the performance and the results. And I think that's really important to highlight is that the tech solution does not solve the problem, but it can give you an instant view of the situation and then help stakeholders make more wiser decisions. So Sandra, thank you very much for taking us through that and and sharing your journey. I was just wondering, as you were talking, and this is a question to both of you guys, what do you see as the business's role and responsibility in supporting migrant workers in the insights, learning, you know, how should they potentially sort of take that forward? Sandra, do you want to go first? Yeah, uh, thank you, Katie. And I think um, it's been pretty well explained by Alexandra earlier as well, is that they have the sole responsibility to ensure that they reach these migrant workers 
with this crucial information. Uh, for example, when it comes to paying recruitment fees and, and so on, and also addressing the whole value chain all the way from pre-departure into it, it, it doesn't just start when they're already employed in the factory, but rather address the issue earlier and more proactive. So I think they have a very big responsibility there. Alexandra, do you want to add anything? Sure, Katie. And I think, you know, I totally agree. Businesses do have responsibility in reaching migrant workers. I think that it's also really important to recognize that we are operating in a very, very complex world where, I mean, the scale of migration right now is really unprecedented. And so it really, everyone has their part to play, be that businesses, government, civil society, international community, be that organizations like ours. And so I think that, you know, first of all, I mean, the responsibility of, of businesses, of course, over their supply chains. So if they are sourcing from certain countries where we know that there are risks of migrant workers being exploited, where we know that the labor force relies or the production relies on migrant workforce, it is important for those businesses to first understand what those risks are, map them and then address them and mitigate them. And, you know, I really want to stress that that understanding and mapping is the starting point because you cannot address something that you don't know about. But nowadays, in a world that is so connected, not knowing is no longer an excuse. So it really is important for businesses to be proactive, to understand what are some of the challenges in these supply chains. And second of all, again, just recognizing that it is It's a very complex ecosystem. I think what's also very, very important is for businesses to see what kind of multi-stakeholder efforts they can be supporting. So, you know, can they engage through some business associations that they are part of in policy advocacy? Can they share their expertise in kind of making sure that any industry guidance tools, courses that are out there are actually tailored to the needs or the specificities of particular supply chains. And I guess also, you know, some of, I think, very important responsibility of businesses, recognizing that nowadays companies have a lot of reach. And so they almost are what sometimes is referred to as corporate citizens. And so I think in terms of exercising that corporate citizenship, they do also have a a big role in sensitizing the general public in terms of what those risks are. You know, I, I, you can only imagine if a corporate that operates across the continents shares content about the risks migrant workers are facing. I mean, it's going to reach a number of people who not necessarily may be aware of that. And I think this is what's really important. And I do think that this is part of the business that goes beyond the supply chain. And it is part of that corporate global citizenships that some brands operating across a number of continents and geographies really have. Wow, that's a really powerful image, the idea of a business, you know, almost reaching outside of itself to support any migrant worker with that understanding and their their rights and empowerment up front. Thank you both very much for sharing that. And I, I wanted to finish our conversation today really on a kind of a bit of a hopefully a sort of higher note. And I therefore wanted to ask you what's next? What's next for you guys on your the missions that you're obviously clearly on, but but wider too. Sandra, would you mind going first? Yeah, so what's next for Quizzer? So 
wanted to mention two things. Um, and the first one is very much related to the complex issue we're talking about today. And is that we are scaling our ethical employment training program, which we can do thanks to the Walt Disney Company Supply Chain Investment Program. So Disney Skip. We're now going into Vietnam, India, Mexico, and Malaysia. And we're doing that with some incredible stakeholders that really have the influence to, to, to reach these migrant workers in their supply chains. And that is VF, New Balance, HP, uh, amongst others. So we're very excited about that. Also, you know, uh, human rights violations are not only occurring in Southeast Asia, obviously, and not only in manufacturing. So it's a real challenge in many other parts of the value chain. So we are also rolling out a program for logistic hubs. Uh, janitorial staff and cleaners in Europe and North America. So we now have clients that are addressing, you know, these challenges in their supply chain in Southeast Asia, but also looking at how they can improve the situation where they operate and where their stores are. Watch this space, everybody. And once again, I will stick those links into the words that sit alongside it. Alexandra, what about yourself? What's next? I think for us, you know, seeing the really growing momentum for, for that work with all the consumer and investment trends and also legislation, we do see our migration business and human rights portfolio expanding. And also, I think what we have there in the future is expanding our resource package for employers. We have recently released two flagship products, Migrant Worker Guidelines for Employers and also a free of charge e-course introducing employers to ways on how to recruit and employ migrant workers responsibly. And so this is definitely the work that, uh, that we will continue. And um, in addition to that, I think we really want to make sure that we are driving multi-stakeholder efforts and advocating for greater protection of migrant workers together with, with businesses who also have been um, you know, really accompanying us along the way. And uh, on top of that, I think more and more partners are, are coming to us asking how can they prepare for the upcoming changes, for the upcoming legislation. And so with this, I think we will continue providing support to these companies in terms of how to implement migrant-sensitive human rights due diligence, how to revise your company policy to make sure it is responding to migrant worker needs, how to provide remedies, and also how to engage those workers in the first place. Amazing. Well, very best of luck to both of you guys. And as I mentioned before, any of the links that have been mentioned during this conversation will be in the words that sit alongside it. And I will also put uh, the answers to my final question to these guys into the words that sit alongside the conversation too, which is, and finally, ladies, how should someone who's listening to this podcast find out more? Where should they go? Thank you. So you can always um, connect with us on LinkedIn, obviously, and connect with me personally, but otherwise go into the Quizzer webpage, quizzer.se, and connect with us and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Fabulous. And Alexandra? Yeah, same for us, Katie. You can simply reach out to us and we will be happy to jump on a call and um, discuss what they need maybe. And uh, you can reach us also through our website, crest.iom.int. And, you know, just uh, also want to mention that um, IOM is a global organization with offices in over 100 countries. And so we do have global presence. Our private sector work has been very much focused also in Asia and the Pacific. And building on our experience, resources and, and field presence, we do have a lot to offer to our partners, including the private sector. So reach out. 
And on those wonderful words, a massive thank you to both Sandra and Alexandra for sharing their insights and their ideas with us today. And if you want to find out more, you can go to the wider Business Fights Poverty podcast series. So Sandra, Alexandra, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Poverty.